Welcome to Mainstream Modular, a podcast presented by Gurdon. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Mainstream Modular, a podcast from Gurdon. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Welcome to another episode of the show. We're thrilled to have you along with us here today. Our topic for today's episode is circular economics and how that relates to modular construction. We're going to talk a little bit about the waste that's created in the built environment, the ways that modular can help combat that, and a little bit more about what it means to uh, to operate in a circular economic kind of way. And so joining me is an expert on this topic. He's going to help explain these uh, these different concepts for us here today. It's John Killingsworth. He's an associate professor of construction management at Colorado State University. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. We're thrilled to have you on the show here today, John. And so, you know, one of the first things that, that we have to establish just kind of as we start this conversation is just discussing the, the kind of waste that currently exists within the built environment and within the construction industry in general. So can you explain that problem that the built environment currently has when it comes to waste under the, the current way that we operate? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, right, the construction uh, process uh, inherently has a lot of waste um, in the process, right? The new construction produces well over 20% of the solid waste that goes into the landfill. And that's just, that's just the process of building, right? And uh, that number gets significantly higher um, in excess of 30% uh, when we consider the waste that is produced by uh, right demolition of old buildings when they reach the end of their useful life. Yeah, that's 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 a great way of, of putting it. And, you know, I, I spent a, a number of summers with my dad, who uh, was a general contractor and, you know, remodeling homes. And I remember uh, carrying uh, as much, you know, drywall as possible out to just different, uh, you know, different um, trash bins and things like that. And so I remember at the time feeling like, Hey, this is, this is a lot of stuff. And the numbers really bear that out. And, uh, my exhaustion at the end of the day really bore that out as well. But, uh, the, the built environment has always operated in, in what you refer to as a linear fashion, right? A linear economic model. Most people out there probably already understand this, but, but for some who might not explain what, what that means by linear and why we are thinking of it in that fashion. Sure. Yeah. So, well, any industry that makes products, right, uh, has in the past just followed this sort of linear approach, right? We extract raw materials from the earth. Um, we use those that raw material to, you know, refine and create other products uh, or other materials. Uh, we use those materials in the production of goods. And then, of course, right, we put those into the economic cycle. Well, when those products reach the end of their useful life, they're just commonly disposed of, right? They're just thrown in in the trash bin. And uh, right in, constru in construction, uh, it's really the same thing, right? We take massive amounts of, of um, materials from the earth. In fact, it's estimated about 60% of all of the materials that are extracted right from natural resources are used to build the built environment. So 60% of that material is going and creating the built environment, creating the buildings that we live in, that we work in, that we are entertained in, right, that are part of society. And, um, right, and then if those buildings reach the end of their useful life, quickly, then they're 
just thrown they're just demolished and thrown into into the landfill and uh, instead of right um a more sustainable or more circular method that would that would try to keep those um those places in in the economic cycle for longer um right so that process is is exhausting natural resources i mean that's well documented we know that we see it we feel it um it's and of course it's creating significant amounts of waste that's going into the landfill and that's an environmental um you know problem um impacting right the the soils impacting the water system impacting the natural environment so um, we've got to get away from that linear thinking and figure out, find solutions that are um, more regenerative, regenerative and, and renewable and uh, more circular, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we, we dive in and talk uh, about circular economics and what that means and how this can apply to the built environment, especially uh, in modular construction, um, there's been a, a big focus on sustainable products and thinking about how do we create more sustainability in the products that we use. And, and that leads us down a certain road of thinking. Give us your thoughts on, on kind of the, the common, uh, let's call it the common wisdom, I guess, uh, the prevailing wisdom as far as sustainable products and maybe why they miss the mark slightly. Well, and so I wouldn't necessarily mean it's say it's missing the mark. It's it's like getting closer to the mark for sure, and and that's and every effort there is is therefore um, um, beneficial. Uh, so in the early '90s, um, the construction and design industry started looking at more sustainable ways of building. And we needed to define what that is, right? So you had organizations like USGBC and, and um, Bream and uh, Green Globes and, uh, you know, a number of other um, uh, building rating systems sort of emerge and try to define what is a sustainable building and what does it mean to build sustainably, right? Uh, Well-defined, uh, in fact, uh, uh, colleague of mine who just recently passed away, uh, Charles Kibbert at the University of Florida, really wrote the book on sustainable construction and and uh, helped push right us towards that. And he was a, a, a part of the early USGBC organization. And, and uh, so sustainable construction is defined loosely, right? Um, meeting the needs of society today without inhibiting future generations from doing the same, right? Um, so if we think of it from that perspective, I think we're still trying to achieve uh, sustainability. Um, but the way that buildings are measured today in terms of right those rating systems, I think they still come short of uh, what really needs to be the goal or really needs to be the objective. Is there an example that you could share maybe of, of what that means or what that looks like in, in practice, perhaps? Yeah. So, um, in fact, just last week I was visiting um, the California Academy of Sciences in San Francisco, Golden Gate Park. Wonderful, um, creative building. Um, and it, it meets um, LEED Platinum uh, for, for its construction and design and um, it meets the lead platinum for for its use as well. 
But when we toured the building and began to learn, right, some of the elements that were designed into it, um, we we begin to find like, wow, okay, so this is, it meets sustainable standards, but it's not necessarily um, built for like a, a circular model or circular economy. And, and for instance, uh, the, the solar panels uh, in the eaves are, are built into the glass and uh, the architect wanted wanted the, the the panels to be integrated into the the glass eaves um, which is uh, now presenting some interesting uh, interesting problems one is um, it, it's just not easy to replicate those and reproduce them um, it was very very um, specialized in terms of its production and uh, would be uh, just impossible. Well, not impossible, but but really uh, difficult to replace those panels. Um, and um, the way it was designed, it's actually not generating <laughs> a lot of the energy that it was intended to uh, to generate. So, not very regenerative regenerative in its design. So, um, and that's again, it's not a criticism at you know at the designers you know from 15 years ago. They were uh, working toward that uh, eventuality or the the goal of greater sustainability. But uh, now looking back, right, we have the benefit of looking back and being critical of of some of the material choices and so forth that uh, they made in that building. Um, the the demand for uh, cooling is a little bit higher than they expected, and um, and we're all experiencing some climate change, right? And and um, and so the demand on the cooling towers in that building is is increased, but the way it's designed does not allow for expansion of that, and so um, they'll have to customize um, or create customized. Uh, cooling towers in order to keep up with the demand. So, right, that's not a very um, circular model, but the building meets um, high levels of of what what we consider sustainable building. So, um, so there's a, a an example for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no that that's a that's a great example. So we, we've we've kind of danced and, and touched around uh, the the circular model and what that means and what that looks like. But give us a high level view of circular economics and how it applies to the built environment. A circular economy is one that is um, that approaches design and production of products to extend life cycle right and then to eliminate waste in the process in the manufacturing or, or in our case like the building process right so trying to eliminate waste trying to extend life cycle keep it in the economic cycle for a longer period of time um right you think about the uh, blockbuster videos that we built in the in the 90s and there were thousands of them all over the country and right and you know that those buildings right obviously don't serve the the same purpose they they did when they were built and many of them were just simply demolished to make room for you know whatever next 
retailer was was coming into town, right? So, right, we sort of missed that opportunity to look at it and say, well, you know, what? How can we use these buildings? Uh, you know, how do we how do we keep them in the cycle? And are we building in a way that we can keep the buildings in the economic cycle or in use for you know longer than? 20, 30, 50 years, right? Can we build buildings that are in use for hundreds of years? And uh, um, not not to deviate too much, but one of my favorite things is to take kids, uh, my students to, to Europe. I, I do this every year and we get a tour, you know, the, the built environment of Europe and they get to see some of the really great things that they are doing and that they have done. And one of the favorites, of course, is walking through these cathedrals that are still in use, um, right? A, a thousand years or, you know, five, six hundred uh, years after they were built, which is remarkable, right? And um, still serving that purpose. So uh, we've got to start thinking about that. That's part of building in a circular fashion. Um but it also means building uh, regenerative um, or renewable ways. Um, so that means, you know, um, building in such a way that right captures carbon emissions or captures and treats water in the system and um, generates its own energy that it's consuming, those kind of things too, that that's part of that um, process as well. Absolutely. No, I, I think that's really well put. And I love the example uh, of Europe and kind of looking and seeing what they're doing and what they have done in the past, I think is a great way of thinking about it and putting it. Um, and so you and I have, have talked about this. And one of the things that you pointed out is that there are five fundamental principles that guide circular economic thinking. And so we're going to walk through each of those principles, but then also explore how they relate to modular construction kind of as it relates back to to this general podcast and some of the themes that we cover. And so um, let's start off just with, with those those five main principles. And the first one you have is build in layers. Tell us what that means and how that applies to, to modular construction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let me just sort of precursor that by saying um, these five principles are are um, set out in in a text by david cheshire so i, I definitely don't want to take credit for for these um and and of course he's building on a lot of the work that that uh researchers that have done recently on the topic but um he's done a a, a really good job of defining them for use or application in the built environment so yeah that first one is building in layers um, the idea here is that if we can create a building that is um, sort of built in layers and, and those layers are accessible, then as it reaches the end of its initial purpose that it was designed for, perhaps we could peel off some of those layers Right, retrofit it, upgrade it, and keep the building in its use. Um, right, some of the most, um, um, what's the right right the word? Um, energy consuming processes is, is actually in the superstructure or the the shell, if you will, of the building. Right, so concrete and steel, um, and and in some cases wood. Right, so 
so the structure, the skeleton or the um, or the foundation of the building, right? That's sort of a primary layer, if you will. Um, we want to keep that. That's that's energy um, uh, intensive materials to to get in place. So we want to keep those materials in place, you know, as long as we can. And uh, and then we, of course, we've got other layers like the envelope. Right, um, and the 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 roofing, right, the envelope, keeping up the bulk moisture and controlling the 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 vapor moisture and that sort of thing. We've got systems inside, like your mechanical electrical systems, right, which in the way we build right now is is often inaccessible until you peel off, right, some of the the finished layers as well. So. We want to we want to start thinking about okay well how can we design in such a way where I can easily access those layers and uh, and then and then retrofit the building or or remodel in in some cases right so that we keep it in in service for for a much longer period of time and and by nature the way that modular construction works does it kind of lend itself to to building in these in, in these layers the way that you're discussing yeah absolutely which is uh, which is interesting right i think it's an interesting byproduct of the way that gurdon and others um build modular uh, volumetric is is uh, um because they're creating these layers and they are accessible they you know they they can do this so um, right, the stacking of the the modules, for instance, is is great because right. What if you what if you need, in fact, um, uh, you know the 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 core itself or the the box itself that they're that's over that's an oversimplification of what they're doing. But right, what if we, we could take those boxes and get them um, retrofitted and back into service in another form or fashion quickly that's that's a great way of building in layers so our, our second fundamental principle today is designing out waste and that's obviously going to be a massive one as we discuss circular economics and circular thinking when it comes to the built environment tell us a little bit more about designing out waste and what that looks like and how that's achieved in modular construction as much as possible sure yeah you even mentioned uh, as a kid right helping your dad uh, <clears throat> and hauling out all of the the scraps of lumber that are cut off and and the massive amounts of drywall right and and you're right it just whenever we do a custom you know customized space uh, we have a lot of waste um, drywall is an easy target um, uh, but the framing system is too and so if you look at and if you, you get a chance to experience right how Gurdon is is building they actually control their waste significantly because the anything that's cut off is actually stored and used as blocking or uh right drywall blocking or um used you know for uh, the electrical blocking mechanical blocking and so there's all sorts of uses for um uh you know scraps of wood that are left over from you know oh yeah i, I gotta cut you know uh, two and a half feet off of this board, um, and you know, and that happens multiple times throughout the framing process of a building. Well, 
Um, most construction sites, right, they're trying to control some of that, uh, you know, but honestly, uh, right, the priority is is production. Uh, when you're on a traditional built, um, it's the the labor hours are more expensive than that scrap of wood. And so if it takes you more time, right, to just chase down where that scrap of wood is, um, to make use of it, it, it's financially not a good model. So, um, and so when we're talking about circularity, by the way, we're not just talking about wasting materials, but wasting other resources. So obviously human capital is a significant uh, waste. Well, so the modular process is, is recapturing uh, a lot of that because they have a controlled area where all the scrap, uh, right, pieces are, are stored and it's pretty neat to see how they work that and and honestly it's remarkable they they don't throw away a lot um, drywall uh, for example instead of dropping the ceiling down in a frame system and then drywalling it they actually will frame frame the entire ceiling system of of, of a box right and wire it and then drywall the entire <clears throat> the entire uh, ceiling, and then drop that down on a unit. And so your partition walls, which normally in a traditional built are interrupting, right, the the ceiling, if you will. Well, in this case, the ceiling is continuous, so they actually eliminate a significant amount of drywall waste um, uh, just in integrating that process into the system and and uh right and uh, and they're doing the same thing trying to explore ways to do the same thing with walls and so forth so always trying to maximize uh, the use of materials and and because the process allows them to do so um, they can capitalize on that absolutely and and so if we move on to the third fundamental principle i think this one is is one of the most intriguing ones to me um, just as it relates to uh, to how circular economics can work and and maybe should work better in the future, and that's designing for adaptability. And so um, this one's particularly intriguing to me. Explain how we can build more adaptability into our designs and into the built environment. Sure, this relates very closely with building the layers, but um, right, it, uh, um, there's some level of standardization in the in the boxes in the modular units that they're that they're creating um and a lot of that is actually dictated because the, the transportation system right if they're shipping uh down the highway they're they're limited on on different sizes um and so what what that has done is that's um um created a necessity for the architects and their designers to think creatively about the space and the adaptability of that space but um, um, yeah, I mean, they some of the multifamily housing that they're putting up—it's um, you know, the same size boxes as some of the um, the the hotel uh, boxes that they're building, and and uh, honestly, could be very quickly retrofitted uh, for medical facilities, um, uh, right? To uh, we were talking about this. Um, you know, but close to two years ago about meeting the, this immediate demand for uh, the COVID patients 
and 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 needing to right address this sort of we, we don't have space for the patients and we need to slow down uh the um the this spreading of this disease and so forth we've got to keep those patients separated from you know other patients and and so forth and, and so it, the 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 pandemic created this demand for an adaptable space um and you know cities and and states got really creative i know a lot of convention space um was quickly converted into medical facilities and so forth but um you know if if we think creatively about you know a hotel fundamentally that hotel if it's if it's you know built to be adaptable you could take the head wall out and replace it with a medical you know head wall that has all of the you know the gases and so forth whatever it's it's uh, maybe not quite as simple as i'm uh portraying here but but it's possible right and and it's um it, it, and we just need to start thinking about okay can we build this to be adaptable another another example is just simply um right economics um and and demographics and dynamics of our country changes over years and decades um there's there's uh, you know been big booms in in natural gas and petroleum products right and so areas that that um are getting built up uh, north dakota's experienced a lot of movement uh because of this right and so temporary housing uh was was built in and sent to north dakota to um uh, you know to address the housing needs for um the, the boom there well okay then then the um petroleum industry sort of goes into a, a you know bit slower period well what do you do with all that housing well if it's been designed to be adaptable well we can disassemble well i'm kind of getting ahead of myself but we can disassemble that adapt the space and right use it uh use it elsewhere so um designing specifically to be adaptable is really important in a in a circular model right keeping most of that that material in the cycle uh, for longer yeah you know i i feel like a lot of the conversation coming out of the pandemic has been how do we create more adaptable solutions and this has been the case in software in healthcare everyone wants to talk about how do we better prepare ourselves for the future but I don't think a lot of people immediately thought about how do we build more adaptable uh, buildings? How do we have more adaptable structures uh, in the future? But I, I think that you just kind of made that case and, and made it really well for how we can do that a little bit more in the future. And you kind of gave us a teaser for our fourth uh, principle, and that was uh, designing for disassembly. And so that kind of plays really well into the idea of adaptability, right? And the ability to disassemble and reassemble in different ways or in different places uh, as needed. Yeah, and it goes hand in hand, right, with adaptability and building in layers. Um, so if we build for disassembly, we're looking at, okay, when it does reach the end of its useful life, um, then, you know, what components of that building can be recaptured? Um, the 
recyclability is actually kind of the lowest um, um, tier we want to get to, right? We never we never want to send anything to the landfill. So let's let's design to eliminate anything going to the landfill, and that that is a lofty goal. But let's get after it. And and I you know right now the way we build, we could actually eliminate significant amounts of waste going into the landfill. So let's design for disassembly rather than than um, you know even deconstruction or demolition, certainly demolition, right? Um, but uh, deconstruction says, okay, we can deconstruct this building, recapture some of those materials, and some of it's going to be, you know, good for, we'll recycle those materials, you know, and keep them in the, in the system, right? Disassembly takes it just a little bit further and says, Let's make it easy to disassemble and peel off those layers and recapture, you know, most, if not all of that, that building system, right? So, um, so designing specifically for the future um, potential of disassembly is, is, is a critical part. Modular volumetric is a good solution for this because um, it, right, it, it's designed in such a way that it can be disassembled. We can take the boxes off of each other, right, and and even <clears throat> ship them back to the to the uh, plant and say, okay, well, let's let's disassemble carefully the you know the pieces, uh, right? Um, so modular boxes are, are, are fundamentally the same thing, um, you know, one unit after another, um, some little bit of variation, but ultimately, right, we have those, those same systems in place. So we don't have to like strip, strip it down to, you know, completely disassemble the thing. We can actually disassemble layers and then reassemble uh, to to fit a new, you know, a new purpose. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's really well explained and really well put. And, and you're right to kind of point out the way that all of these things have kind of tied together. And then we'll wrap up here on our fifth fundamental principle, and that is material selection. And um, uh, again, this this kind of relates back to some of the other things we've talked about. But but tell us a little bit more about material selection and how that plays into circular economic thinking and and, and modular construction. Material selection is like at the core of of circularity. Uh, we, right, we are um, building right now, you know, with massive amounts of concrete and steel. Um, in order to build the buildings that we're building, we're we're going to have to continue to do so, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future. Um, so what we need to do is is um, is look at ways that we can um, reduce the use of concrete. Uh, certainly, concrete waste. It's it's um, uh, concrete is environmentally very impactful in a negative way. Um, so, just the production of it requires a lot of energy, and then right the the material itself. Um, if if that gets into the water system is is pretty bad pretty bad um so could we start to explore 
you know, when we're using um, concrete foundations, could we use cast in place foundations? Could we explore things like that that are reusable? Um, certainly steel, right? Um, somebody mentioned to me actually just last week in that visit to San Francisco, they were talking about how um, landfill will will be the the material mining of the future because it will it will get to a point where it's so expensive to extract raw materials uh, from the earth that it, it you know that that will reach that tipping point of it's actually cheaper to go back into the landfill and start pulling out the metals and 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 uh, recycle those. Um, but I wonder if can a building be right designed in such a way that we know what is in there? It's well documented, so that we know, right? The um, the um, the beams that are used, and the and the and the columns that are used, and the sizes, and and so forth, and so that when that building reaches the end of its useful life, and we go to disassemble it, or repurpose it, um, or adapt it. Uh, we can say, well, look at the um, repository of materials. We can actually right, use those materials elsewhere. Um, there's there's another aspect of material selection, too, that maybe is um, competing with this idea of, of sustainability. And so we have, for instance sustainable forests, right, in our country, in Canada, um, you know, where we, we get most of our, our, our lumber from, right, from Canada. And um, there are sustainable forests. So those are forests that are, are certified sustainability or sustainable practices, right? They don't clear cut. They, um, they are, they're, they're planting more than they're, they're pulling out. They, you know, they also use methods that, uh, Right, reduce a lot of carbon emissions and so forth in the process of, of you know extracting those that wood and and getting it you know to um, into production. Um, well, okay, that's that's great. But if we consider purchasing lumber from a sustainable forest that is 500 miles away just to get the sustainability credit. When we have, for instance, Gurdon in Idaho, right, and they have a local forest that actually, um, right, they can get it and it's closer than 100 miles away, um, but it's not a certified sustainable forest. But it is more circular because, right, the embedded, embedded or embodied carbon in that uh, lumber is is significantly less than buying it from the cer certified sustainable forest. So we do need to be very careful about just making assumptions about, um, you know, what is uh, um, sustainable and, and material selection is a big part of that. Um, we also need to be a lot more cognizant about really what do we need and, and want in our buildings. Do we really need, you know, the marble that's from Italy or could we just get it, you know, from Connecticut? <laughs> um, and so uh, those kind of things, like we really don't have to have, you know, um, these labels on materials that we, we you know, that are um, 
desirable or whatever and we can we can build in more sustainable ways with localized materials um i love the idea of creating a localized economy for for most of our building materials and we can do that in most of the regions in the united states um and uh, and and so you know designers and builders alike really need to be be looking at that and informing the owners like well do you really have to have the corinthian <laughs> you know whatever leather whatever it is um which by the way corinthian leather is actually from new jersey so <laughs> <laughs> the more you know the more yeah, right. you know that's that's fantastic that's fantastic so those are those are our five kind of fundamental principles um that we talk to when we think uh, that we talk about when we think about circular economics and and modular construction and so uh, john when you lay all this out it sounds really great it sounds fantastic but but i'm sure that there are people out there who are detractors of this way of thinking what are some common objections that you have heard and how do you respond to some of those uh, objections that people out there in the market have one right now uh, a circular economy for the built environment uh, it, it's just not part of the dialogue right now so i think a lot of the problem that we have um, is not necessarily objections to it it's um educating the um you know the the users educating the designers and the builders and the owners um and then when i speak with builders that are familiar with circular economics um they have a difficult time because the owner is really driving the um right decisions and so we need to do a better job of informing the owners of buildings right the uh, and that includes our governments and, and because right because they build uh, a significant amount of the built environment um but uh yeah building owners need to be aware of you know the the future impact of non-circular decisions and uh and you can see my unfinished basement behind me here i i'm in a relatively new house and and uh and relatively very frustrated with my with my builder who um uh, right made choices um that were not fundamentally sustainable or or circular and uh but could have actually saved both money time um and materials and uh and ultimately provided a, a better product but um so i i think that's we've got to do more educating we've got to get this out into the public so honestly i appreciate what you're doing here because that's a little bit of uh, of what needs to be done is informing um owners like we need to you know look at the way we design and build and it, it begins with that with that decision uh, maker. So when it comes to educating people and resources that are out there, what what sorts of uh, resources would you point people to? Where can they learn more about either the work you're doing or the work other people are doing uh, in this industry um, to learn more about the, the options and to educate themselves just a little bit more? Um, so I would say I, I could point them to academic journals, but but really that's <laughs> that's that's a labor i mean you got to really be 
super interested to derive uh, information. There are don't, don't a read lot it of, late. Don't read those late at night, right? Like yeah, uh, right. We'll just never, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there is a lot on the internet uh, available, and and it is good stuff. There's a plenty of resources. Um, there's some fantastic um, foundations, research foundations that are doing a lot. Ellen MacArthur Foundation is is doing a lot. They're based in the UK. They've published uh, um, all sorts of just fantastic um, papers, and and everything's on the internet that. Uh, that that they've produced and so um and it's not just uh built environment stuff they they they've looked at ways to apply circular economy in in uh, all sorts of industries um the um there are some resources with the with the government i'm trying to think um the u.s uh um department of Commerce actually has some publications or some web pages on uh, circular economy. That's that's good sort of summary um, type information. So if you're looking to just get started and get informed, um, I'd I would start with with the um, the internet and it it's easy to find you know the things that have some substance that have some meaning and and some depth um, in the research there. Excellent, excellent stuff. John Killingsworth, Associate Professor of Construction Management at Colorado State University. John, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, breaking down circular economics for us and how this can relate to the built environment. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. And uh, I, I, I hope the audience learned as much as I did because I think this was really fascinating. So thank you once again. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to just share what I'm learning. And um, I'll continue to be learning myself, right? And uh, and so best of luck. and. Uh, Thank you very much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Everyone out there, thank you for tuning into another episode of Mainstream Modular, a podcast brought to you by Gurdon. We appreciate it very much. Of course, stay tuned and stay up to date with the latest from Gurdon by visiting their website. Uh, and of course, you can subscribe to the podcast. Uh, if you're catching this podcast after it's aired live, you can always subscribe there on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to get the latest episodes right there on your device as soon as they are published. That way, you can always stay up to date with the latest insights from Gurdon and from uh, the experts that we have on the show. So you want to make sure to do that. And stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more episodes of the show. But for John Killingsworth, I'm Tyler Kern. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye.